This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What is up, everybody? Alex here, coming to you 24 hours after a 3-1 defeat to Wolves at home. As James had to record solo last weekend because I was out looking at apartments, I will be recording solo today. He is out of town meeting a nice lady friend of his. So to jump right into things, we look at the lineup, and I thought, I don't really understand why Baines is starting, but I guess, you know, he's fit and ready to go, so that's good. We don't have to play Kenny on at left back and worry about having no, essentially, fluid motion down the left-hand side. I saw that Jenk Tosin started up top. I was happy with that. And then I saw Walcott, and I was pretty confused because I think everyone assumed Lookman got a rest on Tuesday because he played, you know, two days prior. So that's understandable. But then to not give Lookman a start on the right-hand side against Wolves was pretty confusing. We saw Wolves start with a back five, and that's how they usually play. And we know this season that we have not played well against a back five at all, except for against Burnley. And Burnley were a special case because they were just garbage. Now, we started off pretty bright, right? We were moving the ball well. We controlled possession. And then at about five minutes, Baines gave up a penalty in a pretty ignorant fashion. Like, he should know better at 34 years old with how many matches he has under his belt. And pretty much immediately against the run of play, we are down one to zero. And that's an issue. That's an issue because it allowed Wolves to sit back and just look to counter, okay? And we again, we already find it hard enough to play at five at the back because you have three big center backs. And when you allow Wolves to get back into shape, which they're very organized and very high energy, then you have both wing backs back, and then you've got your two mid central midfielders back. And so essentially, if Everton try to break or try to move the ball up, which we were moving the ball up very, very slowly... You get into a situation where you give the ball to Richarlison or Lookman. I mean, sorry, Richarlison or Walcott, which, again, that's our that's our MO, right? We just slide the ball out, out wide, and you give it to them, and next thing you know, they're looking at five defenders straight in a line and two defensive midfielders essentially inside the box in a complete compact unit. So they could either pass it backwards to Sigurdsson or Tom Davies or maybe their fullback who are making a run forward, or they could attempt to lump across into Jank Tosin and hope that he can essentially fight between four or five defenders to get his head on the end of it, right? So that itself is just never going to work. You look through the match, and Keane committed a really stupid foul, which led to their second goal, right? Jimenez was lined up between Richarlison and Coleman on the near post. I have no idea how that's not predictable in a sense that he's going to score, right? He's clinical in that fashion. He's a good center forward player. And, you know, you can't blame zonal marking there because of the fact that it was a dead ball situation pretty far outside the box, right? Every single team uses zonal marking in that situation, which Marco Silva did state in his defense. And that's true. However, it shouldn't take half a brain for either one of them to look around and say, hey, you know what, maybe I should have a taller player here instead of five foot nine, five foot ten Seamus Coleman trying to defend it, because that's not going to work. Furthermore, it just looked like only a handful of players cared, really. Cenk Tosin was working hard, right? 
John Joe Kenny, you know, Seamus Coleman, they were working hard, but at the end of the day, everyone looked sluggish. It looked like they had no idea what to do. And furthermore, I hate to say it, but it almost looked like most of them didn't care. I mean, there was a video surfacing of Theo Walcott, right? He was slipped in brilliantly by Gilfie Sigurdsson. He took a shot. It was blocked, right? One-on-one with the keeper on the right-hand side. And obviously he's disappointed, but he wasn't very animated at all. Generally speaking, like, you know, Charleston was upset because he didn't slide it over, which whatever, you see that all the time. But at some point, someone's just got to get pissed off and demand more from every other single player on the team, on the field, right? Because Gomez, Gomez was the best player on the pitch for Everton. And that's not even because of the goal he scored. He was just working hard to bring the ball forward to pick out a pass. He got dispossessed a couple times, but that was because of the midfield mismatch, right? We saw that the way they set up as well, they they just, we couldn't, we couldn't work the ball through the middle at all. And teams have figured it out. If you clog the midfield, the center of the pitch, okay, we're thinking that it's playing into our hands because we like to shift the ball out wide. But at the end of the day, we don't have a six foot four center forward who could take advantage of that situation that Jank Tosin, who's only maybe six foot, couldn't. And at the end of the day, something's got to give in terms of our system, as well as our set piece defending, right? So our system playing a 4-3-3 and essentially shifting the ball out wide, hoping that the center or the fullbacks can get involved, right? Luca Dean does a good job of this, but Seamus Coleman, unfortunately, is not quick enough to play as like an overlapping fullback anymore. That's just the sad reality of it. Furthermore, we don't have a, a player that's good enough as a center forward to focus on that, right? Jank Tosin's pretty good in the air, right? But he's not. He's just not tall enough to play that role effectively if that's our main point of attack, right? Crossing into the box. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is tall enough, and he's quite good at heading the ball, but he's just not experienced enough to be able to rely on him for an entire season with a straight face saying, yes, Everton have ambitions, right? That That's just not a thing either. In terms of set-piece defending, we have conceded 11 out of our 36 goals this season from set-pieces, so almost one-third. That is, of course, first in the league in terms of conceding set-pieces. My question, how do you fix it? Marco Silva's not going to fix it, okay? Maybe, could Brands hire another defensive coach? Could he say, look, okay, we have an entire staff, right? Usually a manager is allowed to bring a lot of his favorite staff in terms of offense, defense, whatever, strikers coach. And he did that. He brought in a lot of his staff from his other clubs. Could Brand say, okay, Marco, I'll I'll work with you. Keep all of the staff that you want. I'm going to hire another defensive coach, and he is going to work with the defense. He is going to work with set pieces, right? Just give him the reins and just allow him to work on that for an hour every day at practice until it works, until you have something that makes sense. Because here's what I have to say. We have 13 matches left in the season. Seventh is still possible, but it's pretty unlikely now. Out of those 13 matches, we have five of the big six at home. And unfortunately, we've lost, I think, five out of the last six home matches. So Goodison is hardly a fortress anymore. The fans want something to root for. They just have nothing to root for, right? Like there's just nothing there. And I just don't understand it because 
I feel as though it's too early to say that the, that Marcus Silva has lost the dressing room. I don't want that to be the case because I think he could be a really good manager. We have to remember that his squad is still very much a Frankenstein type of squad, right? Like we have players still from 10, 11, 12 years ago, Jag, Yelka, Baines, Coleman, right? And so we really, he doesn't have the players that he would like to work in his system. So my main gripe is going to be, okay, change your system and make it work until you have the players in which you can tweak small things leading up to using your system to its full effect. Because any good manager has to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. When things aren't going well in general, when things aren't going well during a match so they can change up tactics, all of those things have to be worked on. And he has to show his flexibility. And he also has to show that he can somehow spur these players on. Because it's getting really tiring every other week. We win a match and we're saying, okay, the fans get that little bit of hope. We, you know, They show up in numbers to the match, whether it's home or away, and then we're disappointed again. The way I see it, he needs to use his time the best he can to get to know these players and get ready for next season. This, to me, is 13 full matches for a preseason of season 19 and 20, okay? Signing five more starters for next season are not going to fix a weak mentality and a poor set-piece defense. And so if you think that that could be our saving grace, it's not going to be because you can't point to very many teams at all in recent times that I can think about that have signed that many new starters and have played well that season, except for Wolves, actually, really. I mean, you look at Fulham. How many good players did they sign? I thought they did a fantastic job building their team sheet for the season. Now, obviously, players on paper, as we see in the Everton squad, do not translate to how they perform on the pitch and and relative to other teams. But at the end of the day, I just don't see that being our solution to our problem. We have Man City coming up on Wednesday, the 6th. And I see a lot of people on Twitter, on social media, talking about, oh, we should we should lose the match so that they continue to close the gap on Liverpool. Trust me. I will tell you just as much as the next guy that I really would hate to see Liverpool win the league, but that's a terrible mentality to have. Although I will say at this rate, we probably don't have a chance of winning that match, whether we like to or not. In terms of who I'd like to see play against Man City, I, I really don't know. I can tell you that Lookman should be starting. I can tell you that something's got to shake, get shaken up in the midfield. Maybe Bernard can start at the 10 because we haven't seen that happen yet. And it's pretty clear that we need to continue. As I said, Marco needs to use his time effectively and get to know his players. And that's that's an option that we really haven't seen yet. I think Jenk Tosin should continue to get his starts up top because if we figure out that he really could be the center forward that we're looking for, which there's still a very small chance that he could, then we need to make sure that we do our due diligence and give him the opportunity to prove himself. Maybe James McCarthy could be in for a substitute appearance finally. He's a good leader, I think. Jagielka and Mino will probably be hurt, so we can't really recall Phil Jagielka. In terms of a system, I really don't know. I want to say that we, we can start trying five at the back again, but we got 
destroyed when we tried five at the back. And furthermore, I guess we wouldn't have the center backs to do it anyway. At the end of the day, I just don't think we have the personnel to really succeed this season. I hope I'm proven wrong because there's nothing like looking back to a couple of years ago, I think 2016, in which Tom Davies and Lookman on his debut scored in a 4-0 victory against Man City. Either way, I hope everyone has a good week on the back of a really deflating weekend. Look forward to our post-match on Man City and otherwise up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.